That's good. That's good. Bless you, bless you, bless you. So as he's getting ready to speak, I want to remind you guys, this is not American Idol. This is not like America's Got Talent. You're not judging. We're not voting. We're encouraging. This is family. And so I want you guys to just put on your best listening ears. And uh, a two-word description of Jamil, um, depth and faith. And so just so there, there's a depth to him that you only get from having a history with the Lord. And so every time I get around him, I just respect that. He's also a man of faith. He likes to see impossibilities about underneath. So your 15 minutes begins now. Thank you. Good morning, Zion. God bless you. Um, everything I had prepared to share, the Lord stopped it. <laughs> Literally at 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, I, I told my son, I said, I, I'm done. I said, it all changed on me. Um, but what I want to tell you is, I went and grabbed this Bible. It was a gift on the front. It's engraved with Psalm 34.1. I will always extol the Lord. His praise will continually be on my lips. But when I picked it up, I went, wow, this is a big Bible. Next thought I had was, people should not be wowed at the size of the Bible. They should be wowed by the word of God in the Bible. I said, Lord, that speaks to me. So then I said, okay, I'm going to bring some props. I said, this is a little Bible. This is a little Bible. You put them in your pocket. But you know what? It does make you one bit of difference if you have a Bible if you don't know what's in the Bible. It does not help me to know about God unless I know God. It doesn't help me to know about Jesus Christ unless I know Jesus Christ. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and identify with his death and with his sufferings. Amen? Amen. John 5, 39, Jesus Christ says, Search the scriptures, because in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. That's what the word says. John 6, 63, what does that say? It says, The spirit quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spiritual life. But how do we treat it? How do we treat it personally? Is it sitting on our coffee table? Is it sitting on our dining room table? What do we do with it? Uh, my youngest son, he goes here. It was not this past Saturday, but Saturday prior. He spent the night. 4.30 in the morning, I heard him get up. I got up about mm, 6, 6.30, I came out. I was awake. And I was reading. But when I came out in the living room, I saw him. And then I said, oh, wow. Oh, I better tiptoe, and I tiptoe back. And I didn't say a word, just say good morning. I didn't say anything to him. And I'll tell you why. Because he was having breakfast. He was eating breakfast. And I didn't want to interrupt him eating breakfast. He was reading the word at 4.30 in the morning. Reading the word at 4.30 in the morning. And it reminded me of Ezekiel 3. In Ezekiel 3, it says, Then said to me, Son of man, human being, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. He says, So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, Son of man, human being, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I am giving you. He said, Then I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. I say, hallelujah. That was my son's breakfast. That's usually my son's lunch. And it's usually his supper. I kid you not. 
he, uh, he came to the house. It was Friday. And he, I, I don't know, I might have been working on teaching. But it, I sat out back. He came out back. He goes, hey, Dad, uh, I, I need to share this scripture with you. It reminded me of you. I said, really? I said, okay. And he goes, yeah, 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 Deuteronomy 6. I said, well, I'm going to use it. He said, you're giving it to me. And here's what Deuteronomy 6 says. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, it starts, And these words which I am commanding you this day shall be first in your own minds and hearts, and then you shall wet and sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach and impress them diligently upon the minds and hearts of your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as signs upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets to your forehead between your eyes. And you shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That's what he shared with me. Because the word of God is life. It is life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it's a God-breathed word. That he gave it to us to profit. To profit. P-R-F-I-T. I remember the Lord gave me a thought when I was looking at teachings. He said, well, you can approach him as an investment advisor. I said, as an investment advisor? Tell people. Do I drop it? Thank you. Momentary pause. <laughs> but to let people know, honestly, the greatest investment of your time, of your life, is the Word of God. There is nothing of more value that will bring a greater return to your life except the Word of God. I don't care what goes on in the world. You want to make an investment of your life? Invest your life in this. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Let it saturate. Let it permeate your very being in all wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus Christ has made unto us the wisdom of God. If you want wisdom, we need to have a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made unto us the wisdom of God. And righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. That's what Jesus Christ does. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the word says, no man comes unto the Father except what? Through him. And if we want to know about Jesus Christ and what he's done, what he's done for us, what he did for us, we have to know the word of God. Psalm 119.11 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How do you hide the word in your heart? You've got to read it. You've got to feed on it. You have to feast on it. You have to love it. More than life itself. It's got to become a part of you that when you walk down the street, devils run. Diseases flee. That's what I thought. Resist the devil, 1 Peter 5, 8, 7 and 8 in there. Resist the devil and he'll flee. And I said, man, Lord, I was thinking yesterday. I said, one of the greatest ways to resist the devil is to praise. 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 The devil doesn't want you to pray. Psalm 8-2 says, uh, praise stills the enemy. It stills the enemy. 
but you want to put the word on. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 97, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. With my whole heart, I have sought thee, David said. Let me not wander from thy what? Commandments. But we have to have that word in our hearts to be able to have it. Because if you don't have the word, what are you going to rely on? We can't rely on man. I remember when all this crap started. One of the first things the Lord impressed on my heart. He said to me, Romans 12.2. I said, Romans 12.2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You like that verse? That you may prove what is that good and accept the perfect will of God. I go, he says, do not conform to the world's fear. I said, I like that, Jesus. So I refuse to conform to the world's fear. We all need to refuse to conform to the world's fear. Hide that word in your hearts. Hide it like a treasure. Keep it like a treasure. Keep it like a treasure. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the whole person. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure and bright, enlightening the eyes. The reverent fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even than much fine gold. They are sweeter also than honey and dripping from a honeycomb. Isn't that awesome? This is the greatest investment we can make in our lives. The greatest investment you can make in your life is to learn God's word and retain God's word that when things come up in life, you don't freak out. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. That is a command. That's not a suggestion. Let not your heart be under distress. John 14, 1. Amen? Romans 8, 37 says we're more than conquerors in Christ. We're not to live like we're Oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm not. That's not what we're supposed to be like. Psalm 62, the psalmist said, Truly my soul finds rest in God. He is my salvation. Truly he is my rock. And he is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. That's what the psalm says. How do I know that? Because I read it and I remembered it. My son and I, we won't do competitions, and my other kids are great, but we will see. Do you remember this? No, well, let's look it up. But the word has to be sown in our hearts. It's got to be sown in our hearts, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12 says. See, it's wickedness from on high. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. And then we are to lead captive every thought unto what? The obedience of Christ. Every thought, we are to lead every single thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen? That's how we are to live. Live like a rock of Gibraltar. Live like a rock of Gibraltar. You know, the psalmist said, when my heart is overwhelmed within me, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That's Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Show me your face, Jesus, and you see him in the word. You want to know what Jesus Christ thought? You want to know how Jesus Christ acted? The word. Acts 18, 24, it talks about Apollos. It says, Apollos was an eloquent man. that He was mighty in the scriptures. He was mighty in the scriptures. That's an awesome thing. You want to be mighty in the scriptures because the word is life. The word is life. It's life quickening. It's life sustaining. It's life providing. It is literally, as Proverbs 4 says, it is health to your body. It is nourishment to your bones. Proverbs 8, uh, 35 and 36. It makes a, a statement in there about wisdom. And you can read Proverbs 3, Proverbs 4, Proverbs 8. Because you want to have the wisdom of God, which is the word of God. But it says, you, they that reject wisdom bring injury or harm or violence to their soul. We need to have the word of God. Jesus Christ said it is written in Matthew 4, 4 and Luke 4, 4. Man should not live by bread alone. Thank you, Lord. Job 23, 12. And I'll end here. Job 23, 12. Job says, I turn not from the commandments of thy lips. I esteem your word more than my necessary food. It's more important than my daily bread. If you do nothing else in life, doesn't matter about your job, I don't care. Doesn't matter how much money in the bank, I don't care. Because if we don't have the word of God, your life, what does it really mean? All that is temporary. So I encourage you, and I'll calm down. It's feast at the master's feet. Amen? Feast at the master's feet. God bless you. Well, our next speaker, uh, Ryan Hand, also known as the Handalorian for you Star Wars fans. So uh, two words to describe Ryan, uh, highly combustible, and he lives full. You just get around Ryan, he's just going to leak Jesus on you. And so let's give it up for Ryan Hand. Thank you very much. Um, what I want to share with you guys this morning is a, it's just been on my heart a lot here lately, especially the past year. God's been showing me a lot of things about love. And um, so anyway, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll try to get right into it because I'm going to wind up skipping half of what I got anyway. So, um, But in 1 John 4, 8, it says God's love. So if we go back for, for where we're at, if we go back to Genesis, um, God said, let us make man in our image. So understanding that, you know, the earth made the animals or God did, but he told the earth to make the animals. He told the sea to make the, the fish and all of that. But he, he said, let us make man in our image. So that's the image of love. Our, our created purpose was to love and to multiply that image on the earth. And in verse 27, it's really important because it concludes, it says, and then in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So that's good news for all the ladies in the house because you're not here to serve man. You're not here to obey man. You were created for the same purpose, and that's the image of God. That's the image of love. So if we're created from love in his image, or we were created from love in his image, um, we lost it when man sinned. 
And it's easy to see, it talks about, if, if you look what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says that love isn't self-seeking, so it doesn't seek its own. It doesn't consider itself in the equation past, what can I do for you? He never, Jesus never looked at himself and how you affected him. He was always looking outward to affect others. So, um, it's easy to see what happened with Adam when he sinned because as soon as they sinned, the first act, the first thing they did is they became self-aware. They looked at themselves and they noticed that they were naked and they were ashamed. So they lost their identity of love when they sinned and they became a need of love and they were driven. And I think a lot of times in our society, in our relationships and what we have today is we don't understand what real love looks like. We don't understand what love is. Even in our, our relationships, our marriages, we look at the other person and we say it every day. We say, I love you. But a lot of times what we're really saying is, I need you. I like what you do for me. I like how you make me feel. But as soon as you do something to make me upset or you hurt me, now I'm broken because of what you did. Because I'm still considering myself. I'm still self-aware. So... I know I, I might get off and it might sound radical to some people, but I stop looking at the world's definition of love. I want to look what Jesus says about love. So what did Jesus do? So let's look at love in action. So there's a phrase that if you guys have been in church any length of time, you've heard it dozens of times, maybe hundreds of times, and it's when we take communion. And it really never impacted me. I mean, obviously, I was thankful that Jesus died for me, but this phrase, it never impacted me the way it did a few years ago when, you know, in this house, being under this body and, and living and seeing with my sunglasses, my SON glasses. And so it starts out, on the night he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, he broke bread and said, take and eat, do this and remember it's me. So, but what I passed over every time, my whole life growing up in church, is on the night he was betrayed. Now see, in that time, we think of what Judas did to Jesus, but understand that everyone sitting at that table who he chose to share his last meal with, who he poured his life into for three years, every one of them betrayed him that night. One, read it again. One of them actually, ran, he was so scared, he ran out of his clothes. He's running naked to deny Jesus. No one wanted to be seen with him. And yet he chose to have supper, his last supper on earth with those men. That's amazing to me. So on the night we're betrayed, a lot of times we're posting it on Facebook. You know, we're calling a friend and we're telling them about the betrayal, right? And if our friend doesn't know their identity, they're offended with us. They're offended for us. Sometimes they'll even own it as their offense and then they'll call somebody else and tell them about it. Right? That's not what love looks like. So then he continued to demonstrate love, okay? And the same people who worshipped him three days earlier when he was coming into Jerusalem, they're the people who killed him. And as they're betraying him, this ultimate betrayal, because none of us can say we were killed for being perfect like Jesus. But the ultimate betrayal, he's going through it. And as they're beating him, as they're spitting on him and mocking him and cursing him, as he's carrying the cross, he doesn't think, you know, if they haven't changed yet, they're never going to change. What, what else can I do? He didn't even consider that. He said, forgive him, Father. 
because they don't know what they're doing. If they knew what, who they were, they wouldn't be doing this. And he died for them anyway. He never considered himself, ever. So if that's our example of love, why do we allow people who do things to us to continually break us, to continually shake how we're doing? See, we don't need to take it personal. Jesus didn't take it personal. So if someone does something to me, I don't have to take it personal. I took what he did for me personal. Right? All right. So I say all that to say this. Our biggest problem in this world today, it's not ISIS. It's not racism. It's not COVID-19. The biggest problem in our world today is that man wakes up every morning self-aware. He wakes up every morning thinking about himself, thinking, scheming, how can I get ahead of my job? How can I get ahead of my relationships? What can I say to this person to manipulate them into doing something for me? That's our problem. So if we follow his example, we're not going to wake up self-aware. See, love woke me up this morning for another opportunity to look like him, another opportunity to love. All right, I'm going to skip that. <laughs> so why is love important? So Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, you guys can read it, but Paul emphasizes that if I have all knowledge, all, pro all the gift of prophecy with all knowledge, all wisdom, if I have the faith to move mountains and to cast them into the sea, but I don't have love, I don't have anything. He, he, goes, he, he goes to those extremes on purpose. In today's day and age, if you listen or if you read that and understand, that is a multi-million dollar ministry reaching millions of people all over the world. And if it, there's no love, it's worthless. Absolutely worthless. So Leif Hetland's one of my favorite guys on love. I don't know if you guys listen to Leif, but he's known as the ambassador of love. And Leif says, you only have authority over what you love. See, Jesus wouldn't have authority over sin if he didn't love the sinner, right? So we can't have authority in our life over racism if I don't love the racist. If I don't look past what they're doing and realize that that's not who God created them to be. They're only acting that way because they don't know who they are. So forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. So 1 John 4, 7 and 8, it says that if you don't love, you don't know the Father. It doesn't give multiple reasons. It gives one reason. If you don't love, you don't know him. You know, he was just talking about knowing him. It's so important that we know him. It doesn't say know about him. It doesn't say you don't preach. It doesn't say you don't teach. It doesn't say you don't volunteer or feed the poor. It says if you don't love, you don't know him. Now that we see the importance of love in our lives, how do I become love? So, well, the secret is, is we already are. So we heard what happened when we were born in Adam. Adam sinned and we're the Bible says we were born in Adam and we must be born again. So Ephesians 3 and 17, it says we're rooted and grounded in love. Now, a lot of times as um, humans or mankind, we, we have these ways that seem right to a man. And I 
if I want people to call me a millionaire, I have to go out and I have to make a million dollars, and then they'll call me a millionaire. So if I want people to call me loving, I have to you know, go out and perform loving acts so people will see me that way. But God works differently. God tells us who we are so it empowers us to become the very thing that he called us, right? So if it says I'm rooted and grounded in love, it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter what I did on the way here or the argument or fight I had. It, that's the truth regardless of what I'm experiencing in my life. And it's up to me to partner with that truth. It's up to me to believe that over what I might be experiencing somewhere else. So, um, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Okay, so the first thing we need to do is we need to be with him. Like Jamil said, we need to be with him. We have to meditate on his truths. We have to believe what he said about us. And we need to allow that intimacy between him and I happen on a regular basis so we can become the very thing that he sees us as. The second thing we need to do is we need to simply believe what he says about us. Like I just said, we need to believe it over what we think. You know, Leif Hetland says, what we be behold, we become, and what we become, we release. So what are we beholding? What are we spending our time doing on a regular basis? And then 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 it says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Now, when we understand this, when we really start to believe this, we can really believe that all the old junk that was in our lives, we don't bring it into this new life. It's not Jesus incorporated. I'm not adding his special sauce to my already sauce because my sauce was bitter. My sauce was nasty. I got a new sauce. Okay, so as I believe the truth about who I am, then I can start to see the truth about who, other are, who others are, right? So what does that look like in a, in a real-life situation? I wasn't going to talk about this, but about a month ago, I was in Walmart, and um, I didn't do anything to anybody, but there was someone who almost kind of did something to me, and she began to yell and scream at me, and, um, you know, I'm a nice guy pretty most, much most of the time, and, and so um, I, I honestly, I didn't do anything, but they were upset. I, I don't know what was going on in, their, on in their life, but it was an ugly scene. Cell phones started coming out, and she's just cussing at me and screaming at me and yelling at me, and I would normally react in a pretty negative way, you know, I would be defensive or, or, you know, look to other people to come to my defense or something like that. But I didn't. I was honestly, it was, it was really calm. It was peaceful. Um, and while it was all chaotic around me, I just looked at the lady and I smiled because I realized it wasn't personal. I realized that what she was doing, she didn't know me. She had no idea who I was. She didn't know I have a, a family and and love my friends, my neighbors, people I don't know. She had no idea who she was talking to. So I didn't have to respond thinking about myself and how embarrassed I was or the scene she was making uh, because of me. I just smiled and I walked away because I recognized that she doesn't know who she is or she wouldn't be doing that, right? And I didn't call anyone and tell them about it. 
until now. So another quote from, from my buddy Leif. He says, the moment you believe in Jesus, you get saved. The moment you realize he believes in you, you get transformed. So I can look at that and I can know that I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm not perfect in this. My wife will attest to you. I'm sure last Saturday, you know, we kind of got into a little, little bit. She'll tell you I'm not perfect, but I'm changing. She'll also tell you that I'm a different man than I used to be. I was never like this before, and it's Jesus' fault. He wrecks me every day. <laughs> All right, so let me finish with this. There's a grace over the body of Christ today to walk in love. Leif Hetland talks about, I don't know if you guys have heard him talk about the three reformations. The first reformation being the Jesus with uh, salvation. The second reformation being Holy Spirit and power with the Azusa Street Revival. And I believe we are living in the greatest generation since Jesus today. I think the greatest opportunity, I think the fields are, are white in the field for harvest. I think the greatest opportunity to express this love to this dying world is right now. I, I am so excited to be a part of his body and a, be a part of this movement and what he's doing in us today. And I think as we grab these truths, I think as we get this and we hide this in our heart, it can truly affect the way we talk to the world. It can truly affect the way we talk to people. We can show Jesus to this world. Um, well, let me just pray over you guys real quick. So I thank you, Papa, for loving us. Wash over us this morning with a fresh wave of your grace. Baptize us in your love. Apart from you, we are nothing, but with you we are perfect and wonderfully made. We're instruments of righteousness, instruments of love. Let us be known as a people that host your presence, that release your glory and reflects your love. We love you, Papa. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you for using us to bring your love to this world. Bless you guys. Thank you very much. So good, so good. All right, we've got uh, Rachel Reynolds bringing out the females. It's going to be good. So Rachel, two words for you, fierce compassion. Mm. And so uh, I love the way you go into foreign countries and minister to uh, just the, the most under-resourced, but uh, the, the kindness, the compassion. But there's a tenacity in there <laughs> that you do not mind to mess with. This girl, she will, uh, she will persevere through difficult times. Let's give it up for Rachel Reynolds. Well, thank you guys for having me. I love this church. I love Jim and Mary. I love all the staff. So it's a real big honor to be speaking here today. Um, so today I actually want to talk to you guys about rediscovering and releasing revival. So, you know, I had this conception about revival that it was supposed to look a certain way, feel a certain way, be a certain way. And like you're praying, I'm, you know, I'm praying, we're interceding for revival. And then what actually could happen is you miss opportunities for revival because you're looking through a lens only through like famous revivals like Toronto, Azusa. And what happens is we end up just waiting. So what is revival? I'm so glad you asked. I will tell you. The definition of revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. 
It's the improvement of a condition or strength of something. So the moment, if you think about it, the moment you ask Jesus in your heart, you personally experience revival. He improves the condition of your heart, and he pours his strength into you. Jesus is the original revivalist. Wherever he walked, revival poured out. Wherever he went, revival broke out. So let's take a look at Jesus walking as the original revivalist. If you guys could turn with me to John. And while you guys are turning there, I'm just going to do a really quick recap. It's in John 4. This is the story of the woman at the well. And to be as concise as possible, Jesus meets a woman at the well. He starts talking with her. He gets a word of knowledge for her. He releases life into her. He leads her to himself, and then she goes and speaks to a whole town about it. So where we're picking up is where, um, where she's already encountered Jesus. And in verse 39, it says, yeah, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So revival started because Jesus got a word of knowledge for this woman, changed her entire perspective on God. She personally experienced revival. And then revival continued by the testimony of Jesus. Come on, that's amazing. Jesus is the original revivalist, and he releases it where he goes. But... Part of this rediscovery is remembering and rediscovering that the original revivalist lives inside of us. You get revived when you discover that again. So revival actually starts with you, and then you release it out. So another example of that, we're not going to turn there, but it's in Acts chapter 2. You guys all know, like, know the story. It's when Jesus went into heaven already, and in Acts 2, the disciples were waiting for the helper, the Holy Spirit, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, start speaking in tongues. So each disciple got filled with the Holy Spirit. So they each individually experienced revival. Then they went out speaking in tongues to all different people who spoke all different languages, right? All these people understood what they were saying. Peter starts preaching, and it says this um, in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So revival first started in the disciples, and when they personally experienced revival, they released it out. So we actually have the opportunity to release revival. There is an amazing quote by Stephen Olford, if we could throw it up there. He says, revival is ultimately Christ himself, seen, felt, heard, living, active, moving in and through his body on earth. So rising up as a revivalist, because you are a revivalist, is rediscovering the revival within you and then pouring it out. So I actually want to share a process that is currently happening in my life right now with me and my family. Um, about two weeks ago, well, I should say my dad has been struggling with some health issues. And about two weeks ago, my dad fell and uh, became unresponsive. And uh, we rushed him to the hospital and every day, he just kept getting worse. He was diagnosed with a major stroke. And every doctor that came in that room gave us bad news. And he just kept getting worse and worse. So on a Tuesday, five days ago, so this is like happening right now, um, Tuesday, uh, since my dad had been unresponsive for days, 
they were taking us, they took my mom and I into a conference room to have um, an end-of-life care discussion about my dad. And we listened to what they had to say, and when they were done, my mom and I thanked them for all the information they gave us, and we just told her, we were like, thank you for everything you've shared, but we believe Jesus heals. We believe in the testimony of Jesus, so much so that we are saying no to end-of-life care, and we're saying yes to Jesus, and we just start sharing the testimony of Jesus. I mean, we literally went through testimony after testimony about testimony of what we've seen Jesus do. So we left that conference room, immediately left that conference room, and my mom and I went into my dad's bedroom, and we, we stood over my dad's bed, and we were like, Dad, you've got to get up. And you have to understand, up until this point, so many people have been praying for my dad. Lots of you guys have been praying for my dad. Thank you so much. From the bottom of our hearts, our family is, we feel every prayer. And so my mom and I were like, Dad, you have to get up right now. Because he's been completely unresponsive for days, like a week now. And um, so we were like, Dad, if you can hear me, wiggle your toes. And my dad starts wiggling his toes. And we're fired up. We're like, oh my gosh, dad, if you can hear me, squeeze mom's hand. She, he squeezes my mom's hand. And we're like, oh my goodness. So we're like getting riled up. We're like, dad, if you can hear me, squint your eyes. And his eyes were closed, but he starts squinting his eyes. So my mom and I were like, oh my gosh. So we grab the nurses. Two nurses come in and witness the miracle of Jesus right then and there. We were praising Jesus. My dad did everything the nurses asked him to do, even to the point of giving a thumbs up, which is apparently really hard to do. Revival broke out in my dad's hospital room in the ICU. So my mom and I are like jumping up and down, crying, praising Jesus. We were very loud, especially in an ICU. And uh, these two nurses were totally stunned. One of them actually almost started crying. And she's like, This changes everything. (laughs) And we're like, yes! (laughs) And then she actually apologized because she's like, sorry we're not responding the way you guys are. We're actually just processing what we're seeing right now. And my mom and I are like, that's my Jesus! And, uh, And she finally was done processing, or I don't know what happened, but she was just overcome by the Lord and put her hands in the air and was like, praise Jesus, it's a miracle. And we're like, yes! So um, sometimes when revival breaks out, like what was happening in my dad's hospital room in the ICU, um, different manifestations occur. So we've heard in other revivals like gems popping up or people getting gold teeth. Well, in this moment of revival breaking out in my dad's bedroom, the nurse is praising Jesus. There was two of them in there. One guy didn't even say anything till the very end. He was just so dumbfounded. Um, the nurse is praising Jesus and she's like, wait, look. And she holds her hand over my dad's bed, catches a feather, and she's like, look, an angel feather. We're like, we're done. (laughs) This is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So revival broke out in the ICU with my dad. He changed the condition of my dad. He put strength into him. He did things he wasn't doing for a week then. Not only did he revive my dad, but he revived every person in that hospital room. My mom and I needed it. The nurses, they even admitted to being tainted. They were like, honestly, 
we're tainted. Like, we're not used to people's conditions changing at all. Like, this completely refreshed our faith. And not only that, but revival continued because we started calling people and telling them, because you guys have no idea how many people were praying for my dad and still are. And people were crying on the phone, and they were experiencing revival by the testimony of Jesus. It was incredible. Revival is a continuous process, and it's never-ending. So let me tell you this. That day, people got word of what happened with my dad, and one nurse who I swear doesn't even work on the ICU floor never saw her before. She came in the room, and she's like, I heard we're praising Jesus in this room. We're like, yeah! It was just awesome. The next day, a social worker came in my dad's room, and she's like, I read in the chart your beliefs, and I had to meet you. She had not even heard what happened with my dad. So my mom and I shared with her what happened with my dad. She left my dad's bedroom praising Jesus. Revival is continuous. It continually goes. It's the testimony of Jesus. So good. Now, my dad is still in the process of being healed, but literally everything that's occurring with my dad right now has nothing to do with doctors because every doctor has told us we've done everything we can do. From this point on, every single thing that's occurring with my dad is 100% Jesus. This is amazing. Thank God. Thank God Jesus is the great physician, right? Not only is he the original revivalist, he's the great physician. So I want to challenge you guys today. What does it look like for you to rediscover and release revival in your current circumstances? Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're working three jobs. Maybe you're working a typical nine-to-five job. Maybe you're pressing in and waiting for breakthrough for a physical healing for you or someone else. You know, maybe you're in a financial stretch and you really, really need some breakthrough. Maybe you have um, a estranged relationship with a family member or a friend. So I want to ask you, what does it look like for you to personally rediscover that the original revivalist lives inside of you, who has access to all of heaven's kingdom, that you personally experience the revival so that you can release it out? It's time for revivalists to rise up. That is what's going to transform a city. That is what's going to lead to revival in Columbus, Ohio. And I know for a fact, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we focus on the original revivalist inside of us, rediscovering that revival we already experienced, then we will release revival everywhere we go. Thank you guys for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks. Come on, that was so good. All right, last but not least, did Mary make it here? Mary, did you make it? Not yet? All right, well, don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's where Mary is like, should I stall? I'm like, oh, well, she can watch it on replay. All right, Wesley, Wesley, my son, with whom I am well pleased. Can you tell where he got his genetics from? Want to know what I look like when I was 20? Right here, without the hair. I didn't get facial hair until about 40. All right. <laughs> So two words for Wesley, loving kindness. And so I live with this kid, and he is the, is the most loving and kind person I've ever met in my life. And so, Wesley, take it away. Thank you.
Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, today, I wanted to talk about grace, if that's cool. Uh, and specifically, I wanted to talk about expressing the grace of God to other people. So I feel like in our culture, we have this idea of like what forgiving people is. It's like a bath. Like, I got dirty, and now I need to go kind of scrub myself off, and then I'm clean again. Uh, but in the kingdom of God, grace is like a waterfall that's over our heads at all times. It's, uh, it's not a thing you do. It's who you are. It's, you cannot not be forgiven in the kingdom of God. You can't unring that bell. Uh, when I was a kid, I was probably like seven years old at the time, and I'd done something to land myself in a heap of trouble. And so... <laughs> My parents were like, go to our room, and so I'm sitting on their bed. I know they're deliberating over what to do with me, because I'd read their parenting books. And uh, my heart is racing. I'm just imagining all the worst-case scenarios, and it's like when you're a kid, you don't understand things. Like, what, am I going to go to, like, an ROTC, like, in Cadet Kelly? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just panicking sitting there uh, and my dad walks in which is normally better than my mom walking in he's more graceful uh, and when I was a kid my favorite thing in the world was grape bubblegum the really sugary kind that like loses its flavor in 60 seconds and I would just go through a pack of those things in an hour and now that I understand chemicals I probably wouldn't give that to my children but those were simpler times um, <laughs> And so I'm sitting on my parents' bed. My dad walks in. I look up. I'm like, okay, what's it going to be? And he pulls out a pack of grape bubble gum. I'm like, I don't understand. Where's the punishment? Uh, and so he sits down next to me. I'm chewing on grape bubble gum. And he's like, Wesley, this is what grace is. Uh, when you blew it and you deserve one thing, but instead someone forgives you and they actually bless you instead. Uh, what I found out later was that's what happened to every believer. We've all been given grace. We've freely received, and now it's ours to freely give. Matthew 10, 8, that's what Jesus says, is freely you've received, now freely give. In the Bible, um, I think it's Luke, uh, there's a story of Jesus ministering inside a house, and it's packed to the gills. Uh, you can hardly fight your way in, and there's a paralyzed man who wants to get healed, and so his friends devised this insane Mission Impossible scheme to dismantle the roof of the house and lower their friend in, which I think is a wonderful picture of tenacity. That's like another message in itself. But they tear through the roof. They lower their friend in. Uh, he's at the feet of Jesus, I presume. I mean, I hope he didn't, like, land on people. But they've lowered their buddy in, and Jesus actually tells him, your sins are forgiven, and then he's healed Jesus, he healed people in a lot of different ways, but this guy, somehow the forgiveness of his sins actually released healing power into his life. So forgiveness has the power to heal. It has the power to break off shame and make people whole again. Uh, Peter in the Bible, he's actually a fantastic story of someone blowing it big time and then getting grace. Uh, I think Ryan was talking about it, but when the night, uh, on the night Jesus was betrayed, the authorities were going around uh, questioning people about Jesus, and uh, Peter actually denied ever knowing Jesus multiple times. He was, like, cussing Jesus out. It was horrible. Um, and then when Peter met Jesus again, Jesus, 
he restores and redeems Peter. He's like, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Uh, and Jesus is so good. He knows exactly what we need. He asks him two more times because he was denied three times. He's like, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Jesus, you know everything. You know I love you. Uh, and he forgave Peter in that moment and actually released him into his destiny. Peter is considered one of the fathers of our faith. And like the miracles that came out of his ministry are things we still look to for like inspiration and faith. So forgiveness has the power to restore people into their destiny. Another really insane thing to me is Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We bring glory to God when we open our arms to people. That's actually a form of worship. I know worship is like really big in this house. I just think that's the most amazing thing, that I glorify God when I'm opening my arms to other people. Yeah, so now I'd like to read some Bible verses pertaining to the grace we've been given as believers. Uh, if it's okay, everybody, I'd like you to just close your eyes and just let this wash over your spirit here. And I can see you if you're not closing your eyes. <laughs> so Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 1.18, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Lamentations 3.22.23, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. You guys can open your eyes now. Before you were born, God knew you. He loved you before you even did anything. He is the most glorious, most beautiful one in existence. And he loved you enough to make you in his image because he wants the best for you. And all those things apply to the rest of us. Everyone you'll ever meet is destined for greatness. There's a party banner in heaven with their name on it. Giving people grace is giving them a taste of the kingdom. You're inviting them into what they were born for. How many people in this room had an encounter with grace that changed their lives? And now you get to be that encounter for other people. Ugh. All you're doing is extending to someone else the same grace that you've been given. Freely I've received, and now freely I can give. My dad, uh, he gave me this picture of, uh, it's like breathing. You've breathed in a lung full of grace, and now you just breathe it out to the people you meet. What effect would we have on our city if we did this? But maybe, maybe we can start with just our families or our coworkers or our Facebook pages. <laughs> Um, yeah, so really, that's the meat of it, guys. Um, forgiveness is, it releases people into their destinies. It heals them. It brings glory to God. And it's something that we have freely received, and all we're doing is just extending it to other people. Judgment is like, that's God's job. I can take the pressure off on myself for that. 
Yeah, so now, if you guys don't mind closing your eyes again, I'd just like to do a little activation of let's ask God here. God, is there anyone in my life who needs grace from me? So let's just take a moment. And if there's someone who needs grace, just say, God, thank you for the grace you've given me so that I can give it to this person. All right. So if you've got that person in your head, um, maybe that extending grace to them looks like going to them and saying, I forgive you. Maybe it just means letting go of something in your heart. Maybe it means going up to them and blessing them somehow. Um, it's a really fun adventure with God every time. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's it. If you don't mind, I can just pray you all out now. <laughs> cool. Well, Jesus, come and saturate our lives. Come and fill us up that we might overflow. God, our lives were meant to be lived with you. So thank you for living them with us. Amen. All right, I feel like I could have a good cry now. That was good. Well, that was uh, four four wonderful messages, guys. Thanks for sharing from your heart. It was just uh, so different. It's, it's just we, we need more than one voice. You know, it's just so good. So thank you. All right, well, let's stand for closing prayer here. If you'd like some extra prayer for uh, healing, you need an encouraging word, our uh, ministry teams will be up front. They'll be the ones with tags on. If you're new here, if it's like the Disney Fast Pass. You get to skip the line. Just uh, take that card out of the package you got. You get to skip right to the front. You get an encouraging word. And uh, that's just, uh, that can be life-changing. So um, I, I'm, I'm preaching next, I think I'm preaching the next two weeks. And so I uh, look forward to seeing you guys. Lord, we love you. You're the best. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for our identity. Lord, we thank you that uh, we have personal revival. Lord, I thank you for our forgiveness that we get to give that away to other people. Lord, we thank you for these messages. And Lord, let, them, uh, let us act on them. God, whatever, whatever messages that we needed, Lord, let us act on it today. And Lord, I bless each person in here. God, that everything they put their hand to will prosper. That Lord, even during a difficult time, they will find you like they've never found you before. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. Act like Christians in the parking lot. Bless your children's workers.